Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hi guys, um, reading from Ephesians 2, 1-10. to As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, I'm just going to pray for Neil as he comes to speak. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we can gather today um, as a community, as a church, to just worship you, Lord, um, and to sit and listen to your word. Um, And I just pray that you are with Neil now as he speaks to us, that your spirit is working in him and working in us as we listen. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, hello everyone, my name's Neil. If I uh, haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, it's lovely to be here and uh, so great to see you here on New Year's Day. Happy New Year. Um, I'm a bit of a Scrooge about New Year's, I know it's unpopular, but it's really nice to be here on the first day of the year. Normally not a very exciting day, but lovely to be with you guys. We are going to dig into Ephesians chapter 2 together. So if you have a Bible, please open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. I'd love you to see it. If you'd like a, like a physical one, there's some on the table over there. Just hop up and get one if that's, um, I would, you know, little little, little tip for, for a new year, you know, some people take New Year's resolutions. I I found it so useful to have a physical Bible with me when I go to church because then I get to know the Bible better because it's my Bible. You know, I know where it is. So just to encourage you, if you want a physical one, having it on the screen is brilliant. But um, I don't know about you, but when I watch a movie or a screen, I tend to phase out. So if you have a real one, just just love to to encourage you to please just stick your hand up and we'll bring you one. Um, So Ephesians chapter 2. I want to tell you first of all about one of my favorite games. Uh, it's called Sit Don't Worry, We're Not Going to Play. It's called Sit Down, Stand Up. Anyone ever seen this game played? Okay, they play it on BBC Radio 1. And what happens is that a celebrity guest is coming on to the radio to be interviewed on the program about whatever sort of movie or book that they're there to promote. And to have a bit of fun with this celebrity guest, what they do is they say, right, we're going to play Sit Down, Stand Up. And so they say to the celebrity, would you please take out your phone out of your pocket and pick the most famous person in your list of contacts, call up that person, and the first thing we want you to say to them when they answer the phone is, are you sitting or are you standing? And the fun of it is that we as the listeners and the host and the celebrity get to guess whether or not the person they're calling is going to be standing up or sitting down when they answer uh, the phone. Now, obviously, the reason we don't know the answer to that question is because we're not in the room with that celebrity that they're calling. We don't know whether they're sitting in there or they're standing. But you know, if we did, if we knew where they were, we could hightail it over there, we could go into the room and we could see, oh right, they're sitting or they're standing. Or if we had a camera in the room, it's not as if it's invisible or anything like that. We just can't see it right now because it's hidden from our sight. 
We're not there. But something else that we can't see is something that's invisible. Not just hidden, but invisible. On 9-11, on that terrible day when the two planes attacked the World Trade Center, first responders, firefighters, paramedics, they leapt into action really quickly. But once the initial shock was assessed, once they kind of thought, okay, look at what we're dealing with here. We have a huge disaster to deal with here. But once, once, they, once they took all that in, people began to wonder, is there a danger here that we can't see? I mean, clearly we can see the fire and we can see the metal compacted with stories of this building. We can see, we can see all the electrical wires that have been torn open. We can see lots of danger, but is there a danger that we can't see? Not just something that's hidden from our sight, but is there something that's invisible? And they were assured, no, 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 there isn't. Unfortunately, that didn't turn out to be true. And in fact, an awful lot more people have died since 9-11 than actually died on the actual day because of the invisible danger, toxins and gases and things that was there at the same time. So I want us to think about things that are not just hidden from our sight, not just invisible, because in Ephesians chapter 2, God is telling us about something, something that we cannot see, a reality that is not just hidden from our sight for now, that is not just invisible, but it's something that's very real. Ephesians calls it in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, and in verse 6 of chapter 2, it's called the heavenly realms. And that doesn't just include heaven, where God is, but it's God's perspective. It's how he sees the world. It's how he sees us and where we stand before him, one way or the other. And it's this thing that we can't see. And over time, you know, it's something, it's a reality, it's a, it's a perspective that we can barely perceive. There are times when you get a little hint, when you might spot something or feel something or notice something and you think, hold on, there's something here, there's something going on here, I can't see it, but it's there. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to think about that a little bit. But let me give you a little context in Ephesians, first of all, if you have it open there in front of you. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the earliest Christians. He met Jesus uh, after he'd risen from the dead and was sent by the risen Lord Jesus to go and tell people all about him. And he went to Ephesus. He started a church there. But the letter you're, you're, you're looking at is a letter that he wrote to the, a bunch of different churches in that area after he had left. And so he's writing to them and helping them to understand how it is that they're going to live as God's people in Ephesus of all places. And you might think, oh, what's Ephesus like? Ephesus was at the, this time was ruled over by the Roman Empire. So if you had gone there, you would have seen lots of evidence of the Roman Empire. You might have seen the armies walking down the street. You might have seen the massive, very impressive buildings. You might even have seen the, the Roman pantheon. That's all the different Roman gods and all the temples of worship in that city. Imagine it, a massive, multicultural, multi-religious sort of society. And this church is trying to exist and trying to get to know Jesus, tell people about Jesus in this very, very uh, busy society with lots going on. And you know what you would not have been able to see in Ephesus? You wouldn't have been able to see what was prompting this devotion to the Roman pantheon. You wouldn't have been able to see what was prompting the loyalty in being part of the Roman Empire. Um, you wouldn't have been able to see that, but you would have been able to see the evidence of it. You would have been able to see the, the consequences, the fruit of it, because this is their world. This is just the, the air that they breathe, the, world, the, the water that they swim in. This, this was their culture and this was their world. But Paul says to them and to us, he says that all that you can see is not all that there is. All that you can see is not all that there is. Because uh, look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. 
He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What? If, if you're new to reading the Bible, I hope you find that, that, that sentence a bit odd. What does that mean? You were dead? What are, we, what are we talking about here? Um, he's writing to people. Here's what's happening, right? He's writing to people who have become Christians. They were not before. And so when he says, as for you, you were dead, he's describing their life before they came to believe in Jesus. And therefore, everyone else around them still. This is, this is what they still are. But he's, he's making a comparison. He clearly doesn't mean physically dead. Because if you have a look at verse 2, he says in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world. So, so he's describing people who are up and about. We're not talking about corpses here who are brought back to life. He is, he is describing someone who's living their life. So he's not describing a physical thing, but still he says, you were dead in sin. And if you looked at a person, you would not have been able to see that. They look just like everybody else. They look fine. They look just fine to me. But this was your life. But if you know what to look for, it's, it's invisible, you can't see it. But if you know what to look for, there, you can see some of the consequences of being dead in sin, if you know what to look for. And he's going to tell us three things to look for. Okay? So with me, we're going to look for three things. One, two, three. Number one. In verse two, he says, you used to follow the ways of the world. Now, the world is a wonderful, beautiful place that we can enjoy, and very rightly so. It's God's world. He gave it to us to enjoy, to go out into, to live in, uh, to be creative, to love, to explore. He gave it to us to care for. So this is not, uh, when, it's, when, he, when he's talking about you negative, he says it negatively, doesn't he, in verse 2? You used to follow the ways of this world. What he means by that is he's following on from verse 1, where he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So when he says you used to follow the ways of the world, basically you were following the world in its disobedience against God. You were following the world as it sinned against God. Much easier to see that in other people than in ourselves. Much easier to see that in culture around us than in ourselves. But those times when we do things that God doesn't like, those times that we do them, sometimes we do them because we are following the world. We are copying culture. We are doing what we're told to do by the world. So he's telling us that's one of the things to look out for that tells you that you're dead in sin, is that, ah, you, you did what they did because they're doing it. You followed the ways of the world. That's the first one. Second one, we're not just following the world. So look, at the world. look at verse 2. It says, we're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul, Paul is saying there's this silent backer, right? He doesn't want to be mentioned by name. Don't tell anybody, right? But in verse 2, he's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? He's talking about the devil. Someone whose influence is very, very hard to see. It's why he's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air, because the devil's strategy is not, look at me, hello, I'm the devil. It's, uh, it's a whisper, shh. Just go along with that. You know, and, and, he, and he might influence your thoughts or whisper in your heart, or you might see him in the world or, or in your own you know, temptations in your own heart. He might be things like, God's not, gonna, God's not concerned with this, or God doesn't care about you. Just, you know, he's not to be trusted. I mean, he's not going to be very, he's much, smarter than, he's much smarter than I am. He's not going to be very blunt about it. But he's carrying along, almost on the wind, unseen. You can't see him. And his strategy is to encourage us to go with the flow. Just go on, just do it. God's not coming through for you. It doesn't matter. Just go for it. That's the second one. Third thing, 
is our own bodies. And this is really important to understand, okay? Your body is not bad. That is not what this is saying. So many people have taken this and thought to take the wrong thing from it. When it says in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. It doesn't mean our, our body is bad. God makes our, makes our bodies. But what happens to us is, is that sin warps our bodies, makes them not quite the way God designed them to be. So they do things they're not supposed to do. They want to do things that God doesn't want them to do. And the Bible's term for that is talking about, talking about our flesh. It doesn't mean our flesh is, 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 is bad. It just means that it, it wants to do things. But what that is there for in verse 3 is to tell us that we're not helpless, you know, we weren't duped totally and completely. Because if, if the first one, right, was we followed the ways of the world, the second one was the devil. So you might just think, oh, wasn't me. Just, you know, blame them. But in verse 3, you know, he's saying, no, no, we, we were tempted. Maybe that we, we looked at the world and what it did. We, were, we heard the whisper of the devil's temptations. But in both cases, we said, yeah, okay. I, I consent to that. I'm going to go on with that. So we're not... We're not innocent. So with those three things to look out for, I wonder, just as you sit there and think about it, have you ever sensed those? You know, you can't see them. Not very overtly, not very obviously, but do you ever sense them? Just little hints, can't see it, but, you know. Something where you know there isn't, all that I see is not all that there is. Because let me tell you what Paul does not say next. Right? This is what he does not say next. He's like, you, I've got to clean up your act. You better, you, you, you better, you better panic. Because this is the end of the world. You see, you see what danger there is? This is, a, this, is, this, is, this is awful. In fact, you've got to isolate from the world, you Christian people. Make sure you don't go out into culture. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, it's all on you. It's all on you. Be good or else. He doesn't say that. What he does actually say is going to start with a very, he's going to start and it's going to be very convicting that he's going to say. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to hear sometimes what he is going to say. But hang in there, because there is great news to follow. But first, he's going to tell us the consequences of this being dead in sin. He's going to tell us what the consequences are. It's in verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He's talking about God's wrath, God's judgment. And before we even get to wrath, can I point out something for you in verse 3? He says, like the rest, we were... Did you jump over it like I just did? We... So he's including himself in this. Paul is talking about himself, and he was a Jew. He was raised as a Jew, and if you were a Jew, you were good because you were one of God's chosen people. And so he's including himself in this. He's including all the Jewish people in Israel. All the first Christians were from Israel, Jews from, 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 from Israel. He's including them. He's including everyone he's writing to, the Ephesians, all the Gentiles, and all of us. So we're all in the same boat. Everyone has this dead in sin status that needs to be solved. Everyone, including going all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is where it actually started. Even if you've never read it in Genesis, you know the story? Adam and Eve, you know, man, woman in the garden, ate fruit from the tree. Everyone says it was an apple. doesn't say it was an apple, but, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. They weren't just physically alive. They were spiritually alive. And they were spiritually alive because they lived with God. They talked with him. They saw him walking in the garden. They, they lived with him. They were with him. But when they disobeyed God, when the devil tempted them, when they took fruit from the tree God told them not to, they were cast out of the garden and they became, they're still physically alive. They didn't die instantly like that, but they weren't spiritually alive. And that's what it is to be dead in sin. That's how we all start out, just like them. And then because of that, that's our nature. Because of that, because of our sins, we have God's wrath on us. 
Now, when you read about God's wrath, you know, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but that's because we compare it to our anger and our wrath. God does not get angry like we get angry. He isn't angry just because he's biased or because he's stirred by a bad mood or he's angry because he's out of control. He's not any of those things. God's wrath is coming because he's going to do something about our disobedience that is actually corrupting us and everyone else in the world. And just because he's taking time before final judgment comes doesn't mean that it's not coming, whether that's tomorrow or whether that's the day Jesus returns or whatever, that's when we die and we see God. But just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not coming. And we all have to deal with it. And that's why he's telling us this. Not telling us this just, for, just, out of, just out of obligation. He's telling us this because God wants us to hear what he's about to say. God is holy and just, and he will put a stop to injustice. And when you see bad things happening in the world, I don't know about you, but God being holy and just, that gives me an awful lot of peace because I know that it's not going to go unpunished. It's not going to get, people aren't going to get away with it. Of course, I'm not very happy when that's about, talking about me. But I'm glad that God is a God, a God of justice. But that's his nature. He's a holy and good God. That's who he is. And what I want you to see now is I want you to see the rest of God's nature by, in how he responds to our state, the way he finds us. It's in verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God did something. We're told that he has, do you see that in verse 4? He has great love for us. Just let that sink in for a minute. God has great love for you. He loves you very much. And that's his nature. In the letter of 1 John, it says God is love. It doesn't say God is anger. God says God is love. That's who he is. And if you ever doubt that, and you will on difficult days when you say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? That's okay, because then what, might, what we should do then is where do we look now? When, when, we have a, when, we, when we struggle to wonder, like, God, are you, really, are you a God of love? Are you really a God of mercy? All we need to do is look at how he responds to us being dead in sin. So look at this. This is where Paul takes our attention. Verse 5, where is our attention brought? God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Dead to a life, just like that. That's, that's, the, that's completely reverses of the situation the way it was. God completely changes our status before him. And in fact, the change is so complete, it's really easy to miss how. Did you see it? Go back and look at verse 5 again. How did he make us alive? He made us alive. Do you see it? It's on the screen. Two words. He made us alive with, do you see it? With Christ. Uh, this is talking about Jesus' resurrection. All right. Put it together with me, okay? Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, was born. We just thought, thought about that at Christmas. Jesus grew up. He died on a cross. And God's wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus. Three days later, God, using his power, raised Jesus to life again. Okay? And that means if you trust in Jesus, that your fate is tied to his. Which means that God will raise you to life exactly the way he, he, he raised Jesus to life. He, he, he's proved he can do it. So that, what does that include? That obviously includes, obviously, but that obviously includes physical resurrection. One day, whenever it is that we die, we will, if you believe in Jesus, rise from the dead and go to heaven. Everyone, most people actually would be aware of that. That's what Christians believe. And it's true. that It definitely includes that. But it's more than that, eh? It's more than just a physical, 
physically being made alive, because we're not physically dead yet. So it's more than that. Look at verse 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you see the past tense there? Even though I don't know about you, but if you look around, this is not the heaven, this is not heaven. We're still on earth. But it says God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. It's already happened. And yet that verse says that if you trust in Jesus, that you were already in heaven with him which is a bit weird to get your head around because you're ceasing here, but you're also apparently ceasing in heaven if you believe in Jesus. So you know what that means. If you're, God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, do you know why it tells you that? It's because it's job done. Job done. When, <laughs> it's very important to pay attention whether Jesus is sitting or standing. Because when Jesus is seated in heaven, the reason he sits down isn't because it's time for a rest cup of tea, put your feet up, Jesus, good job. It's because his work is finished. It doesn't need to be on earth anymore because his job is done. So if you're seated with him in the heavenly realms, it means job done. It means that you are no longer dead in sin. It means you no longer face God's wrath for your sin. It means you don't need to spend your life going, fingers crossed that when I die, it's all going to be, you don't need to do that. It's already done. You're already seated with him in heaven. And nothing can change that. You know why nothing can change that? Because you did nothing to deserve it. And you didn't earn it. You don't need to live in fear thinking, oh, am I going to get kicked out of this? But you didn't, you didn't get your own way in anyway. So you don't need to worry about that. Look at verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Jesus is a gift. One we didn't ask for and certain one we certainly didn't deserve. But he's a gift. And all we are asked to do is to respond to what he's already done. That's why it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's receiving, it's believing that Jesus is who he says he is. So, are you sitting or are you standing? If you take my meaning from verse 6. Are you seated with him in heaven? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that assurance as you enter a new year that whatever you might face or whatever you might what happen, oh, I trust in Jesus and he is risen from the dead so therefore I am too with him in the heavenly realms and forgiven for my sin. Don't face God's wrath anymore. I'd love you to think about that. I'd love you to talk to me about it afterwards but I want to show you one more thing first. I want to show you why. This is all very important information but it's way more than just Knowledge. If all it is is knowledge, we've missed something. Look at verse 7. I mean, before I read it to you, you might ask, why did God do this? If we're talking about why. Oh, because God is loving, because God is kind. Yes, of course he is. That's his nature, though. Why did he do this? What was the purpose in sending Jesus to raise us, to raise those who believe in him to, to heaven, to forgive us? Why did he do that? Verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're in the coming ages now. So what is a Christian then? A Christian is a preview of what's to come. You're a preview of what's to come. Um, Paul warned us about the invisible. 
the world, the devil, our own temptations are in our own bodies. Um, but it won't be that way forever. If you have a Bible, you can look at Ephesians 1.10. And in Ephesians 1.10, Paul says that one day, heaven and earth will come together. It's called the new creation. And everything will be under Jesus' rule. And it won't be us all go to heaven. It'll be heaven and earth will come together. And so that's where it's heading for. So a Christian is a preview of what's to come. Until then, until that happens, we can, we can leap into Jesus' arms confident that he's more powerful than the invisible. In, in, in Ephesians 1.22, it talks about God putting everything under Jesus' feet. It is never going to happen that one day you outsin Jesus. Or that one day the devil manages to, ah, didn't see that coming, well done. It's never going to happen. Jesus is the boss. Everything's under his feet. It's like when you sit in a chair and you put your feet up on a footstool. Everything is under Jesus' feet. He's more powerful than everything. So a Christian is a preview of what's to come. And a Christian is God's kindness on display. Look at verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. Go back to 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. I'm not very good at um, painting. I don't know if you are. I'm a fair baker. I can sometimes bake things, although I tried to make some of Ola's really nice peppermint mocha cookies and burned them. So, you know, I'm not the best at creating things, but God is. Because look at verse, verse 10. We are God's handiwork. A Christian is God's handiwork, a canvas of God's grace. Someone who's been rescued from the invisible, the dead in sin existence that he found us in and made us alive, created in Jesus. So a lot has happened in these verses. In, in verses, one to ten, verses 1 to 10 there. A lot has happened. We've been told that we've been rescued from an invisible thing that we can barely see and barely understand. We've been told that Jesus did everything to make sure that we're alive with him. We've been told all of that. But what are we supposed to do when you get up out of those chairs and when you walk out of here? What are you supposed to do with it? And what difference does it make? The rest of verse 10 says that... We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is so much we could say about what are those good works that God's prepared for us to do, right? But I'm going to change your focus from where I think you would imagine we would take it. There's lots of things we could say about that that are good and very valid. But there is such a danger that those good things that we would go out and do, whatever God has prepared for us to do, there is such a danger that those things would, sh- would take our focus away from where I think Paul takes it in Ephesians. So I'm going to take you there. If you have a, it's going to come up on the screen. But if you have a Bible, we're going to Ephesians chapter 3. So this is where he's heading for. What is a good work that God's prepared for us to do? How are we God's handiwork? What does that look like when you get up out of here and you go out that door? So I want to show you this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to 19. This is what he prays for the people. It's what Paul prays for the Christians he's writing to. And I would love us to make this our prayer as we, we who are here together and as we go from here. Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, this is God, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So when it said in Ephesians, God has prepared things for us to do, that is where it is. is. That is what it is. Everything else flows from that in Ephesians chapter 3, that you would be filled with the fullness of God. It's not just that you go off and volunteer and do, 
yeah, that might be a good thing. Everything else will flow from that. It might be things that you didn't want to do in your life, but God calls you to do something. It's amazing when you do something, you think, oh my gosh, I love this. I never would have liked this before. Where did this come from? Maybe it's something that God gave for you to do. Maybe it's something that you wouldn't even think of as a good thing that God's given you to do. Like loving a friend, like being a parent, like anything. Something you just enjoy doing, painting, anything. But those are just things that flow from this in chapter 3. To be filled with the fullness of God. Chapter 3, verse 19. What does that mean? To be filled with the fullness of God. We'll go back a few verses. It, it, it says being rooted and established in love. That means Jesus' love for you. He loves you. We said that earlier. God loves you. Jesus is the proof that he loves you. That is where you stand and that is where you stay. You stay in the love of Jesus. It's not, hi, I'm Neil, and I became a Christian, and I did this, and I did that. I try to avoid the word I when I'm telling people about what it is that I believe. Because you know what they think? They think that Christianity or going to church is just a, it's my thing, you know? You do you, and I'll do me. Good for you. It's not my thing. I didn't just decide to come and join a new community because I was bored. Or I wanted a new group of friends, or I just picked my religion. That's not what it is. This is not a lifestyle. This is not death insurance, where it's just, oh, listen, one day I might die, so I better believe this just in case, you know, fingers crossed. That's not what this is. But I tell you guys, so many people think it is. So many people think that's what it is. And if they think that, it's probably because people have told them or, or, or made it seem like that's what they think it is. When they look at people who are these Christian people, they think, well, well they seem to just be doing all these good works, so I guess that's what it is. You've got to do these good things in order to, fingers crossed, you'll be okay. That's not what it is. It's, it's not that we went and did stuff. It's that Jesus came for us. So be filled with the fullness of, fullness of God is being filled with Jesus, which we are by his Holy Spirit. But it's knowing Jesus. It's, it's, it's dwelling with him. It's being filled with him. If you want to be a canvas of God's grace, if you want to think, I want to be this, I don't just want this to be like information, knowledge in my head. I want to feel it. I want to see my life the way God sees it. I want to understand that he has forgiven me, that I have his grace, that I did not earn this, and therefore I can't lose it. When I sin, I love that God gently, sometimes a bit, not, not gently, sometimes a bit of a, bit of a nudge, but when, that God tells me when I have sinned, you know, this isn't you. But it's not that, oh no, now I push myself further away from God, what am I going to do? You never were pushed away. Because you've been forgiven through what Jesus has done. God's wrath for your sin has been poured out on Jesus. So you don't need to go, oh, no, 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 I need to, I'm sorry, I'll be good. That's, that's not, we're all, we never were pushed away. We were always, we're in him. A Christian is created in Jesus. So that's what you tell people. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people that he is the one. And, and that is, and that's, that, that is what we want to see happen for us, that we would have power. God will do this for us together with all the Lord's people, 3.18, to grasp. You know, when I look back on when I first became a Christian, I thought, oh, I knew nothing. And, and, and now I think, oh, yeah, I think I get a bit more of God's love for me. I bet that's just a teaspoon in the understanding the fullness of God in my life. So my prayer is that, God, I want you to fill me so much that Jesus is just fills my, my sight and my heart. And yeah, we do have to live in the world. And God wants us to do that. And he's going to look at 3.16. I pray he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. 
We are not there on our own. God has us there as ambassadors. God has us there as his people, and he will strengthen us. And when we stumble, we're carried by his grace, just like we always were. So if you want this, this year, if you want to be filled with the fullness of God this year, you know a good place to start? Ask him. Ask him. So let's do that. Let's ask him. Let's pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus. And to know this love, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.